This is Jacob Ewing with the AWC City Voice Podcast, where we explore the issues that impact Washington cities. Today, we're revisiting one of our sessions from the AWC 2020 Annual Conference. Due to COVID-19, AWC's conference was held online in a virtual format. We had a few live sessions available to attendees, as well as several pre-recorded on-demand sessions. For this episode of City Voice, we're going to play some clips from the live session, Let's Get Real, Advancing the Conversations About Race, Equity, and Leadership. This session was a panel discussion facilitated by Leon T. Andrews, Jr., Director of the Race, Equity, and Leadership Initiative at the National League of Cities. Leon was joined by Tacoma Mayor Victoria Woodards, Olympia Mayor Cheryl Selby, Renton Council Member Ed Prince, and Pullman Police Chief Gary Jenkins. Leon began the discussion by sharing seven ways city leaders can address racial inequalities. After sharing those seven points, he engaged with the panelists on a range of topics, discussing challenges and opportunities panelists are seeing in their community. Let's join the conversation with Leon. wanted to bring into the room this quote uh, from the late Dr. Maya Angelou. Her quote, uh, prejudice is a burden that confuses the past, it threatens the future, and renders the present inaccessible. I thought this quote was so relevant for our moment. As we think about the conversations that we need to have today and going forward, what really struck me by this quote is our inability to talk about this in a way that really um, is talking about real change. We only find ourselves coming back to this conversation five, 10, 50 years from now. And so what's the work that needs to happen that makes sure that we're not just having the conversation, but really are committed to moving beyond another conflict, right? Five years ago, it was Ferguson. Today, we're seeing it in streets across this country from Minneapolis to Atlanta. We know over a thousand cities uh, and towns have been experiencing protests and uprising. Uh, This tension, this racial tension uh, is not new to this country, um, but this can be a moment. People are saying, is this an inflection point? for how we are thinking about what we do in this moment as we're hearing from so many different and diverse voices. And so what are we doing to push ourselves beyond this moment uh, that is real and sustainable? What's the work we need to do as city leaders to close the gap where race is no longer predicting one's success while improving outcomes for everyone? What's that work? What's the work that we need to do to target our strategies? What's the work we need to do to get at root causes? So what's at the root of why black women are dying two to three times higher maternal mortality rates? What's at the root of the system inequities, right? And so that's the questions that's in front of us that I wanna challenge us as we're having that real conversation today and beyond. And and so we have some leaders that are willing to have that conversation. Um, uh, And and, and as I acknowledge them, I, I wanna acknowledge the seven ways that, that, that's important to lead that I, think, that I think you'll hear in their voices and what they bring. Uh, the first is the work that, that they do to build trust. And what's that work that needs to happen? Um, and I wanna, in our conversation, call that out, building trust with the community. The second is getting to the facts. What's the work that needs to be done to get to the facts? Uh, data disaggregation, that needs to happen, not just quantitative, but the qualitative, hearing from the community. The third is the work that needs to be done to listen. 
And how are they creating spaces to listen even when it's hard, even when it's difficult? Um, and what does that look like to create those continued spaces for listening? Uh, the fourth is about their leadership. And how are they leading even in these most difficult times when they know that their voice matters in this space? And what does leadership look like um, as cities are expressing their frustration and are looking for real change? Uh, the fifth is about their commitment to systemic change, not just a Band-Aid, but really taking on dismantling systemic uh, racism. Uh, the sixth is the commitment to ongoing training and the work that needs to happen to ensure that that is showing up in their city, across their city, and how, what does that look like. And then the final is around making uh, sure that there's accountability, prioritizing accountability. So I wanted to name several things in this real talk. I hope we get to a lot of this in our discussion. We have an exciting panel who is committed to having this honest but difficult conversation about systemic racism. And I want to build on that, Ed, starting with uh, Renton is a pretty diverse city. And, and you, know, you guys have created uh, an inclusive or inclusion task force, I think it's called. Um, I'd love for you to, to, to share um, how has that, you know, that task force worked you know, with, within the city as you're bringing in diverse voices um, into city government. Can you share some of your uh, uh, successes? Happy to. I, I want to give uh, a lot of credit to our now former mayor, Dennis Law, um, who was committed to the work of race and equity um, before it became the buzzword that it is now. But Renton is about 54% people of color, um, which is a dramatic change from where Renton was 20 years ago. What our inclusion task force really has done um, is uh, they've partnered with the city to ensure that residents who have not been historically part of the process um, are now engaged and part of the process. And they've done everything from members of our inclusion task force who were African-American ministers started a African-American pastoral group. They meet with the mayor and police leadership every month to talk about issues around policing, um, issues that are going on in the community. Uh, they held a forum for African-American teams to meet with police, lead police officers, not just leadership, and talk about, try to build the bridges between law enforcement and the police department. And our inclusion task force has helped us with everything from um, our parks plan to the equity lens that we have our, all our departments working, uh, working through now. Uh, they've been a huge, huge, huge um, value add for the city. Um, and it's something that uh, I'm glad that we've taken on. So Cheryl, I mean, I, I, you put out a, um, a, a recent press statement that described Olympia as predominantly white um, that it is a very progressive community. So, uh, and I, um, and so I'm, I'm curious as I'm asking about the moment in Olympia, kind of how is that, how is it playing out in your city? Could you share about, share a little bit about that? Sure, thanks, uh, Leon. So when I moved down here 25 or so years ago from Seattle, it was just dramatically, um, there were very few people of color and I'm, I regret to say that 
it has not changed much since I've been here. I think we're under 5% um, African-American in Olympia. Uh, Traditionally, uh, with the proximity to the base, Lacey has felt more welcoming and, and just um, closer to the base for folks that um, are, you know, rotating through there. Uh, but, you know, we've been struggling. Is, that, is it the chicken or the egg? So, you know, how do we make our community safe and welcoming for black and brown families? And uh, so that's that's why one of the reasons why we started the uh, the we have now an equity and inclusion coordinator uh, that we had an internal committee of, of you know, equity and inclusion, but we didn't have an outward facing presence in our community. So uh, that's one of the quick actions that we've taken. What's gonna take a little longer is, is framing the charter and the work plan for our human rights commission, which we've also um, moved forward uh, two weeks ago. But the, uh, having a dedicated staff member for that work is, is a step in the right direction. But you know, I, I, I'm looking at all of my notes that I have to talk about and, and we are trying to, um, like I used to joke, not joke, but just say it's like trying to remodel the house when your house is on fire. You have to get the fire out and just kind of get through this moment and then we can actually get the work um, accomplished and make meaningful change. Um, in this discussion. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious how, if you're, if you're processing it, kind of how you're processing what it means to center their voices as you think differently about some of the decisions you're making. You know, there's anger, there's hurt. We need to make sure that we're centering the voices of black, indigenous, people of color. You know, it's now the terminology, if you haven't heard of it, is now BIPOC, right? Black, it's not just people of color, black, indigenous, people of color, that there's an intentionality there. Um, and so what does that look like, you know, as you, know, as you are, because it feels like centering it requires something, right? It requires some intentionality, right? And, and anyone want to jump? I don't want to call anyone out, but I want to see if anyone want to jump in on that. Ed? First, I will say our last two uh, city council meetings last week and then this past Monday, um, we've had a large number of um, African-American folks um, call in to provide public comment, uh, provide public comment to talk about the issues that they're concerned with. And so I will say this, even though we do an excellent job engaging our community, even when you see what's, hap when you see what's happened in Minneapolis and Atlanta, it's still, especially if you're African-American, it hits you in a certain way. Um, and so you have certain concerns. Uh, so we've had a lot of, uh, people, uh, African-Americans call into our council meeting. Um, in fact, we had uh, one um, Caucasian lady who was signed up to speak first and she yielded her time to African-Americans because she felt like their voices needed to be heard before her voice was heard. Um, the other thing that I've seen a lot of has been focus on engaging the youth um, and former or current Huskies assistant basketball coach, Will Conroy, and um, a host of his friends that are in the NBA, held a rally for young people in Renton at Liberty Park uh, to talk about and engage them on the issues um, of the day and to talk to them in a way that they could relate to about how they, you know, how they interact with law enforcement. Um, and I thought it was really a, I was I applauded Will for 
focusing on youth. And B, I thought the amount of parents who brought out their kids so that their kids could get a message. Um, every black parent has, have, has to have to talk with their kids. I had mine with my son after George Floyd, um, but bringing them out so that they could hear um, from someone and hear from some famous folks um, about how you uh, approach law enforcement, how you work in that space, I thought was very um, timely. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah. I do feel like part of centering me means requiring us as leaders and you as elected officials to be uncomfortable um, and about the voices that are coming forth. But it's also like, what are you committing to? Right? Because if you're centering the voices, it's not just, yeah, we gave you a voice to speak, but are you committing to structural change? And kind of what's the process to do that, to be able to send a message that we're not just giving you a voice to speak, but we want to do something about it. And how are you wrestling with all that? So any reactions to those thoughts? Yeah, Victoria? Leah, two, two, two reactions. Um, one, so Tacoma has, you know, we have had a history um, of like when we started Project Peace, which is something that the National League of Cities has recognized as a model in terms of building relations between relationships between our police and members of our community, um, all members of our community. So that we're, I mean, as we, we have not started our community process yet, um, but, but we'll be starting that in the next couple of weeks, uh, how we're gonna move forward to include all of those voices. But I will say as, as, as a black woman um, who happens to be a mayor um, at this time, I will say one of the things that I know um, I feel extremely committed to, and, and I think it doesn't just have to be as a black woman, I think it has to be for every leader right now, as you sit in rooms where people are having these discussions, whether that's with your chamber or that's with some other board that you sit on. And in a lot of these rooms, we gotta remember we're in Washington state. And so in a lot of these rooms, there's either one person of color or there are no people of color. Um, and so I think in those rooms, we also, and I, I keep using this word obligation because I just think if you're committed to the work, you have an obligation to speak up. But, but even in those rooms, um, I've been in rooms where people are talking about, we really need to do something. We need to have conversations. And my first reaction is, no, you need to listen. You don't need to have conversations about how you feel about it. You need to listen to people so you can clearly understand why people of color don't participate in your organization or aren't a part. You, I, I, I refuse to sit in a room and listen to you talk about how bad you feel or, or, or how you think you can fix the problem. I think for our allies in this work, it's really important to call that out. And just like Cheryl said, you know, lifting those voices up, that means that people are going to have to sit back and be quiet and, and, and listen to those who have been affected. And that means getting out of our own way. And then number two, that means calling people out when they're trying not to center that voice. Because we won't change if we keep listening to the same voices we've always listened to, which is part of the reason we're still where we are. We really have to hear from those who have been affected. And the, and the other thing I'll say that as we center the voices, we've got to center voices in more than just a conversation around police reform. That's not enough. That's not enough. We cannot focus all of our attention on building the best justice system in the world and then keep putting people into it. We have to also have conversations about how we keep people 
out of the justice system? What other reforms are we making so that people don't end up in the justice system that now we're trying to make so perfect, which will never be perfect. But, but, but I think that you, you've, you've got to have all of those conversations and you can't just send yourself and say, well, we went through our policies and procedures. We line up with eight can't wait, box checked, we're done. That's, that's not how you send a voice. Uh, Gary, I want to uh, draw you out a little bit because I, I, I appreciate Victoria because acknowledging, you know, it's not just about the police, but what has drawn a lot of attention is obviously the, that moment, eight minutes and 46 seconds of knee on the neck of George Floyd, and again, another moment, and the tension and the hurt and the pain and all of that that's been connected to that and uh, that's been emotional for so many. Um, but you have a good, you know, good marks, received great marks um, for the work you've done in Pullman, the culture you've set, you've created in your, in your department. And so I'd love for you to reflect as you think, while it's not just about police, are there things that we could learn, you know, from your insights or things, even things maybe that you are reflecting on that you might even want to be doing differently? You might be in, I don't know where you are in your reflection space, like I did this, but now I'm thinking about we need to do some, you know, some other things, right, that we need to go even deeper, right, you're in that space. I'm wondering how you're reflecting as you're hearing these calls for reform, right, calls for defunding, calls for dismantling, right. There's a lot of calls out there. I'm not sure if it's happening in Pullman or across the state, but love to hear your perspective and how you're reflecting through all of that. Yeah, uh, thank you, Leon. It, it is uh, hard to navigate um, it, you know, there's no, like you said at the beginning, no one has, has uh, the answers to this uh, or, or the game card to do everything right. Um, I think everyone has touched on um, some things that I think are really, really important. Uh, Ed was talking about building bridges and, and uh, what we've tried to do is to build those bridges and develop relationships, not because of an event or not after an event, but because that's part of our community and uh, we wanna be inclusive of everyone in our community. And so we need to develop those relationships um, before something happens, not because of something happening. Uh, and then uh, Victoria was talking about uh, listening as well. You know, it's, uh, and, and you did too, Leon, at the beginning. Um, and that's, you know, being an active listener, uh, uh, I've learned is a lot harder than it sounds. And it also means that we have to be open to what we hear and be willing to consider making changes that maybe we're a little bit resistant to uh, and, and open up our, our minds a little bit and to really listen to what's being said and to make that space to let that conversation occur. Honest conversations are are probably the toughest thing. Um, you know, it's kind of, we, we hear that a lot now, having an on, honest conversation. But to really sit down and talk about how we see certain things or how, how we perceive things. Um, you know, I, I have to tell you, me personally, I have, I always have a fear that I'm gonna come across, I'm gonna say the wrong thing and I'm gonna offend somebody and that's going to jeopardize our relationship. So how do we get past that? To, to sit down and really talk about uh, resolving these problems. Um, mm. You know, and, and, and just, I think just trying to include 
the the whole broad section of, of the community in, in a lot of different areas. I have a, a police advisory committee that last year I actually added um, uh, some more constituencies that include, um, there's a, uh, an organization at Washington State University, it's the um, Black Faculty and Staff Association. And I now have uh, a representative um, from that group on my committee. And actually she also sits on our police officer interview panels. So uh, she is helping us pick the right people um, to serve the entire community, including her community. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of things that we can, we can do to try to create those relationships, but the, the really honest, tough conversations are just that, they're tough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and I really appreciate uh, the acknowledgement of um, when you step out there, the worry of what the pushback will be if you say the wrong thing, right? Even if your heart's in the right place um, and your desire is to want to lead. And I, I wonder for a lot of our elected officials, how many, how many are wrestling with that? That's all the time we have today. The full session is about an hour and a half and includes deeper discussions, as well as questions from the audience. I invite you, if you haven't already, to register for the AWC Annual Conference. Because it was virtual this year, you can sign up at any time and start watching any of the recorded sessions produced for the conference. A big thank you to our panelists and facilitator for sharing their thoughts and insights on race, equity, and leadership. Thank you for listening. You can find links to our annual conference in the show notes or by visiting wacities.org. The AWC City Voice podcast is a production of AWC, where our mission is to serve our members through advocacy, education, and services. Please note that audio clips from the session were edited for length and clarity.